Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say. But me, I go say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't wanna know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie. When I see a film about slavery, water comes to peace. And welcome to the Abolitionist Daily. This has um, been a great inaugural week so far. Uh, day number three. Wednesday, February 18th, 2015. We are uh, going to log in here in a few minutes to the fourth quarter earnings conference call with one of the largest private prison companies, private prison enslavers on the planet, the Geo Group Incorporated, based out of Boca Raton, Florida, we uh, talk about them quite frequently on this program and in the abolitionist movement, one of the key uh, figures behind the, the lobbying that goes on in Congress and creates laws that, that uh, continue to expand the police state and therefore the incarceration state, mass incarceration, modern day slavery. So we're going to be logged into their call here momentarily. I'm not exactly sure how long the call is going to last. So we do have other features for the program. Um, once the call is done, we'll be able to, you know, break down what we heard there, but we'll also be looking to uh, get into an announcement yesterday by um, Attorney General Eric Holder calling for a moratorium on the death penalty and uh, looking at possibility of the record number of exonerations that have been coming down. Uh, if that maybe is having some effects, several of those people that have been exonerated have been snatched right off of the uh, death row. So that could be a factor. We'll look at an abolitionist angle on that. Our abolitionists in profile will be a former Dallas district, uh, uh, district attorney, Craig Watkins, one of the originators of the, uh, uh, crime, the uh, conviction uh, integrity unit concept. Uh, so we'll look at his, his legacy down there in Dallas and some of the people he was able to help. Our unexplainable black death profile will be mother Pearlie Golden, who was 93 years old sitting in her home, gunned down by police uh, last May of 2014. So we do have some other features, but, uh, Scotty, if we're ready um, and the call has begun, I'm not 100% sure I don't have audio on the call yet, but I know that they were supposed to be starting at the top of the hour. So typically they do a little bit of an introduction themselves and bring in all of their execs and, and announce who's going to be on the call. Um, I want you to listen to listen for some things in particular on this call because we're getting the raw information and typically we're able to play back the uh the podcast and look at the transcripts and analyze so we're listening to the raw call today uh pay attention to the names that are uh, announced <clears throat> not just the executives with the company but pay attention to the names of the investment houses who are uh, 
who are here. Okay, the call sounds like it's it's maybe ready to go, so I'll be quiet. We're listening into the Geo Group fourth quarter earnings call. A lot of information here about slavery. Drove a 12% increase in our net operating income for the year. As reflected in our guidance, we expect this positive momentum to continue in 2015. During this year, we are scheduled to reactivate two company-owned facilities totaling more than 2,300 beds in inventory, along with the expected completion of two company-owned expansions totaling approximately 1,300 beds. In addition to the project slated for activation in 2015, we have begun work on our announced project in Australia for the financing, development, and operation of a new 1,300-bed prison in Ravenhall near Melbourne. We have previously discussed this large-scale project, which involves an unprecedented level of in-prison rehabilitation and community reentry services aimed at reducing reoffending rates and helping offenders reintegrate into society under the geo continuum of care. The Ravenhall Prison will be financed and developed under a public-private partnership structure with an equity investment from GEO of approximately $115 million Australian and returns consistent with our company-owned facilities. During the development phase, we will be recognizing construction revenues. Once the project is completed in late 2017, we expect to generate approximately $100 million Australian dollars in annualized revenues under a management contract which has a term of 25 years. All of these important milestones are indicative of the continued demand for beds across our diversified real estate portfolio, and we believe validate our growth and investment strategy. Over the last five years, GEO has developed and acquired more correctional detention and community reentry facilities than any other correctional organization in the world with approximately 30,000 built or acquired beds in that time. This significant level of new development and asset purchases has driven our consistent growth in earnings and cash flows for our company with our current AFO increasing at a compound annual rate of 17%. As we continue to position the company to meet this ongoing demand for cost-effective correctional and detention beds, Today we announced the closing of our previously announced asset purchase from LCS Corrections. This important transaction resulted in the acquisition of eight correctional detention facilities totaling more than 6,500 beds for $307 million at closing, or approximately $47,000 per bed in an all-cash transaction. As we have previously guided, on an annualized basis, the acquisition is expected to immediately increase our revenues by approximately 75 to $80 million and be initially 10 to 12 cents per share accretive to AFO, excluding one-time transaction expenses. The valuable assets we have acquired from LCS already have existing contracts primarily with federal correctional and detention agencies. However, they have been historically underutilized 
with current average occupancies around 50%. GEO has a three-decade-long partnership with the federal government and a successful track record of integrating acquired assets. Consistent with our prior acquisitions, we expect to achieve substantial improvements in the utilization of these important assets to drive additional accretion to AFO over the next 12 to 24 months. With the LCS acquisition, GEO has increased its residential capacity from 79,000 beds to 85,500 beds, including projects under development. With these important milestones achieved, we remain focused on the careful evaluation of our allocation of capital to enhance shareholder value. With respect to our outlook, we remain optimistic regarding new opportunities, which we are currently pursuing that may reactivate other idle beds in inventory. Following the scheduled reactivation of our Great Plains and Mesa Verde facilities, we will have approximately 3,000 beds in idle facilities in addition to the approximately 3,200 beds in incremental underutilized capacity at our newly acquired LCS assets. There are a number of publicly known opportunities in U.S. and overseas we are currently pursuing totaling several thousand beds, and we are exploring a number of non-public opportunities that relate to both new project development and potential asset purchases. With respect to known opportunities, the states of Washington and Vermont have pending procurements for close to 1,800 out-of-state beds in several other states, including Oklahoma, Arizona, and Ohio, among others, are considering the use of additional private beds. At the federal level, we continue to be optimistic with respect to the opportunity to grow our partnerships with all three of our federal agencies. We are equally enthusiastic about the opportunity to expand our delivery of offender rehabilitation services through the GEO continuum of care, which we believe is in line with current criminal justice reforms at the federal level. We view these efforts as positive and we believe that the emphasis on offender rehabilitation and community reentry programs will create significant opportunities for our company. Over the last several years, we have built an industry-leading network of more than 20 halfway house reentry facilities and over 60 day reporting centers across the country. We are the largest provider of electronic monitoring and community supervision services in the United States. At the federal level, we are currently the largest provider of reentry centers and home confinement supervision services. We believe our industry-leading diversified services already positions GEO to pursue additional opportunities in the delivery of evidence-based offender rehabilitation and reentry programs. As we announced today, we are making an additional annual investment of $5 million to expand our GEO continuum of care platform. Beginning this year, we will be rolling out GEO continuum of care programs at select state facilities around the country, which will integrate in-prison rehabilitation with post-release services for inmates completing evidence-based programs in GEO facilities. 
Our commitment is to be the world's leading provider of offender rehabilitation and community reentry programs, which is in line with the increased emphasis on rehabilitation programs throughout the world. At this time, I would like to turn the call over to Brian Evans. Thank you, George, and good morning, everyone. Before addressing our quarterly results, I'd like to briefly touch upon our company's attractive investment characteristics, which are underpinned by our robust real estate portfolio of company-owned and leased facilities. Our total real estate portfolio encompasses more than 17 million square feet in owned, leased, and managed facilities, and we own more than 4,000 acres of land across the U.S. We currently own or lease approximately 70% of our facilities worldwide, and more than 70% of our NOI is generated by our company-owned and company-leased facilities. We have stable and sustainable income through increasingly longer-term contract arrangements. We have a diversified base of investment-grade government customers with multiple individual contracts with no single customer contract representing more than 5% of our revenues. We have historically enjoyed solid occupancy rates in the mid to high 90s and strong customer retention rates in excess of 90%. Our long-term assets have a physical useful life of 75 years or longer <clears throat> and require relatively low levels of maintenance capex estimated at approximately 5% of our net operating income. Moving to our financial results, we are very pleased with our fourth quarter and year-end results as well as our outlook for 2015. As disclosed in our press release today, our adjusted funds from operations for the fourth quarter 2014 increased to $0.81 cents per share from $0.72 cents per share for the fourth quarter 2013. On a gap basis, we reported fourth quarter 2014 net income attributable to GEO of $0.52 cents per share compared to $0.38 cents per share for the same period a year ago. Our revenues for fourth quarter 2014 increased to approximately $428 million from $384 million a year ago. Our quarterly revenues include approximately $17 million in construction revenue associated with our contract for the development and operation of the 1,300-bed Ravenhall Prison in Australia. For the fourth quarter 2014, we reported net operating income of approximately $123 million up from $109 million in the fourth quarter 2013. Compared to 2013, our fourth quarter 2014 results reflect the activation of three managed-only facilities totaling 3,800 beds in the state of Florida in February 2014, a 400-bed expansion of GEO's U.S. Marshals contract at the company-owned Rio Grande Detention Center in Texas during the first quarter of 2014, the reactivation of the 300-bed company-owned McFarland Community Reentry Facility in California during August 2014, the opening of the 400-bed company-owned Alexandria Transfer Center in Louisiana in November 2014, and approximately $17 million in construction revenue related to our new contract for the development of the Ravenhall Australia prison. The opening of approximately a dozen new day reporting centers in Pennsylvania, California, and Virginia during 2014, and improved occupancy rates across our diversified real estate portfolio. Moving to our 2015 outlook, which is indicative of the continued growth in our earnings and cash flows, as disclosed in our press release, 
we have issued our initial guidance for the year. We expect our full year 2015 revenues to be in a range of $1.9 billion to $1.93 billion, including approximately $137 million in construction revenue related to our Raven Hall Australia project. Our 2015 AFO per share is expected to increase to a range of $3.35 to $3.45. On a gap basis, we expect our 2015 net income to be between $2 and $2.10 per share. Our 2015 NOI is expected to be in a range of $518 million to $526 million, and our 2015 adjusted EBITDA is expected to be in a range of $378 to $386 million. Our full year 2015 guidance reflects approximately $0.05 to $0.06 cents per share in startup expenses associated with the activation or reactivation of our Great Plains and Mesa Verde facilities, as well as the completion of expansions at our Adelanto and Carnes facilities during the year. Full year guidance also reflects approximately $2 million in acquisition-related expenses for the LCS transaction and approximately $5 million in additional expenses related to our investments in the Geo Continuum of Care platform, as discussed by George. For the first quarter 2015, we expect revenues to be in a range of $438 million to $445 million, including $26 million in construction revenue related to the Raven Hall Australia project. First quarter AFFO is expected to be in a range of 70 to 72 cents per share. On a gap basis, we expect earnings for the first quarter to be between 40 and 42 cents per share. Compared to our fourth quarter 2014 results, our first quarter 2015 guidance reflects 5 to 6 cents per share in additional employment tax expense as a result of the seasonality in employment taxes which are front-loaded in the first quarter of each year. Additionally, first quarter 2015 guidance reflects approximately one cent per share in startup expenses and approximately $2 million in acquisition-related expenses in addition to normal seasonal fluctuations in federal populations. Our 2015 guidance reflects the closing of our previously announced acquisition of eight correctional and detention facilities, totaling approximately 6,500 beds from LCS correction. Based on the timing of the closing and the transition of the LCS facilities, we expect no net impact to AFFO from the acquisition during the first quarter. Beginning in the second quarter, we expect the acquisition to add two to three cents to AFFO per share on a quarterly basis, which is reflected in our full year 2015 guidance. As George discussed, these valuable assets have existing contracts primarily with federal correctional and detention agencies. However, they have been historically underutilized with current average occupancies around 50%. In line with our successful track record of integrating acquired assets, we expect to achieve substantial improvements in the utilization of these facilities, which will drive additional accretion to our AFFO over the next 12 to 24 months. With respect to our liquidity position following the LCS transaction, we continue to have ample borrowing capacity of approximately $260 million under our revolving credit facility, in addition to an accordion feature of $350 million and approximately $40 million in cash on hand. With respect to our other uses of cash, 
We expect our project and growth capex to be approximately $50 million in 2015, and we have approximately $20 million in scheduled annual principal payments of debt. With that, I will turn the call to John Hurley for a review of our market opportunities. John? Thanks, Brian, and good morning, everyone. I'd like to address select publicly known business development opportunities in our key segments, starting with the federal market and the three federal government agencies that we serve. As we have previously reported, GEO has long-standing partnerships with the Federal Bureau of Prisons, the United States Marshal Service, and the United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, and we provide cost-effective solutions for them at a number of facilities across the country. We continue to see meaningful opportunities for us to partner with all three of these federal agencies, particularly as increased emphasis is placed on offender rehabilitation programs and community reentry services. With respect to our 2015 scheduled project activations, during the first quarter of this year, we expect to begin the reactivation of our 400-bed company-owned Mesa Verde detention facility in California under an agreement with ICE. We had previously completed a $10 million renovation of the Mesa Verde facility, which is expected to generate approximately $17 million in annualized revenues. During the second quarter, we expect to begin intake at our 1,940-bed company-owned Great Plains Correctional Facility in Oklahoma under a new 10-year contract with the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Additionally, we were recently awarded a new 10-year contract by the Bureau of Prisons for the continued management of our 1,878-bed company-owned Washington Valley Correctional Center in Pennsylvania. This new contract will commence in the second quarter of 2016 following the expiration of the current contract. Under our new 10-year contracts with the Bureau of Prisons, these two important company-owned facilities are expected to generate approximately $76 million in combined annualized revenues. In California, we are scheduled to complete the development of a $45 million expansion of our company-owned Adelanto ICE detention facility in July 2015. This important expansion will increase the facility's capacity from 1,300 to 1,940 beds and is expected to generate approximately $21 million in additional annual revenues. Finally, in Texas, we are developing a $36 million expansion to our company-owned Carnes Ice Residential Center, which will add 626 beds, bringing the center's capacity to 1,158 beds. The 626-bed expansion is expected to be completed by year-end 2015 and is expected to generate approximately $20 million in annualized revenues. In addition to these projects under development, ICE has issued requests for information for several company-owned and operated detention facilities ranging from 800 to 2,000 beds in different locations across the country. Turning to our state market segment, as states across the country continue to face budgetary pressures, their ability to achieve cost savings becomes an even more important priority, which leads to increased interest in privatization projects. Several states across the country continue to face capacity constraints and inmate population growth. Many of our state clients require additional beds as inmate populations continue to increase and aging, inefficient prisons need to be replaced with new, more cost-efficient facilities. For instance, in the states we currently operate, the average age of state prisons ranges from approximately 30 years to 60 years old. 
With respect to recent contract activations, late last year we completed the reactivation of our company-owned McFarland facility under a new contract with the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. The 300-bed McFarland facility houses female inmates and is providing enhanced offender rehabilitation and recidivism reduction programs. In-prison rehabilitation includes adults' basic education, GED, and other academic programming, vocational and career technical skills courses, and inmate work and training programs. Post-release community services include evidence-based cognitive behavioral treatment, reentry programs, and life skills courses, including communication skills, money management, family and social interaction, and job application and interview skills. The contract also has a provision for a 300-bed expansion, which can be exercised at the state's option and would require us to complete the expansion within 12 months once the option is exercised. We believe this important contract is indicative of the continued need for correctional beds and rehabilitation services, and it is a representation of how our company is positioned to pursue incremental growth opportunities through the delivery of enhanced rehabilitation services under the GEO continuum of care. With respect to new opportunities, the state of Vermont and Washington have pending procurements for the housing of approximately 700 and 1,100 inmates respectively in out-of-state facilities. We have submitted our proposals to both states and are awaiting a contract decision. We believe that the solutions we have proposed would be well suited for these procurements and would result in the reactivation of our idle capacity. In Oklahoma, the state had previously issued a request for proposal for up to 2,000 beds at in-state facilities. While this particular procurement did not move forward, we believe that the state of Oklahoma continues to have a need for correctional beds, and we are continuing to monitor this opportunity. Additionally, there are several states, including Arizona, Ohio, and others, which are considering public-private partnerships for the housing of inmates, as well as the development and operation of new and replacement correctional facilities. With respect to our international markets, our Geo Australia subsidiary has begun work on our recently announced project for the development and operation of the new 1,300-bed Ravenhall prison near Melbourne. This large-scale project is expected to be completed in late 2017 and will provide an unprecedented level of in-prison and post-release rehabilitation programs. The Ravenhall facility will have a unified commitment to providing innovative approaches to reducing reoffending, including the establishment of the world's first fully integrated Good Lives model delivered through the GEO continuum of care. Specifically, the operation of the Ravenhall facility will include collaborative partnerships with community-based organizations which will allow offenders released from custody to continue rehabilitation programs. Progressive accommodation units which will enable the delivery of group and individual evidence-based programs and intensive evidence-based programs including the innovative use of in-cell IT delivered programming among other industry-leading rehabilitation practices. This project will be develop, developed under a public-private partnership structure with geo-making investment of 115 million Australian dollars. We expect returns on investment for this project to be consistent with our company-owned facilities. The contract is expected to generate in excess of 100 million Australian dollars in annualized revenues for GEO under a 25-year contract with the state of Victoria. At this time, I will turn the call over to Ann for a review of our GEO care segment. Ann? 
Thank you, John, and good morning, everyone. Turning to our GeoCare segment, each of our divisions continues to pursue several new growth opportunities. Our reentry services division continues to work with existing and prospective local and state correctional customers to leverage new opportunities in the provision of community-based reentry services in both residential facilities and non-residential day reporting centers. During 2014, we activated six new day reporting centers in Pennsylvania, which are expected to generate more than $5 million in annualized revenues. Additionally, in California, we activated seven new day reporting centers in counties across the state, bringing our total number of day reporting centers to 22 in order to support state and county initiatives aimed at reducing recidivism and helping offenders reintegrate into the community. Additionally, during 2014, we activated a new day reporting center in Richmond, Virginia, which marked our entry into this important state market. With respect to our residential reentry centers, we recently activated a new company-leased 240-bed residential reentry center in Newark under contract with the state of New Jersey, which is expected to generate approximately $5.5 million in annualized revenues. Our Youth Services Division continues to work towards maximizing the utilization of our existing asset base. We have continued to undertake a number of marketing and consolidation initiatives to increase the overall utilization of our existing youth services facilities. During 2014, we received new out-of-state placements at our existing facility in Colorado, as well as a new customer for detention services in Pennsylvania. Our Ohio facility experienced a rebound from a seasonably lower census in the first quarter of 2014 to near full capacity over the second half of the year, and our facility in Texas remained at full capacity all year. Finally, our BI subsidiary continues to market its supervision and electronic monitoring services to local, state, and federal correctional agencies nationwide. At the federal level, BI was successful in retaining two important contracts that went through a competitive rebid process in 2014. In September of last year, we signed a new five-year contract with ICE for the continued provision of the community supervision and electronic monitoring services under the Intensive Supervision and Appearance Program, or ISAP. The new ISAP contract is expected to generate approximately $47 million in annualized revenues. Also, this past September, BI signed a new five-year contract with the Administrative Office of the U.S. Courts for the provision of electronic monitoring services for federal probationers and pretrial defendants, which is expected to generate approximately $5 million in annual revenues. Overall, BI has continued to grow its market share of the electronic monitoring market in the United States and during 2014. BI's revenues during 2014, BI's revenues increased 20% year over year. At this time, I'll turn the call back to George for his closing remarks. George? Thanks, Ann. In closing, we are very pleased with our fourth quarter and year-end results as well as our outlook for 2015 which continue to be driven by solid operational and financial performance from our core operations in the U.S. and internationally. During 2014, we activated approximately 5,000 beds for both state and federal agencies in Florida, California, Texas, and Louisiana, representing approximately $80 million in 
annual revenues. Our GeoCare division opened approximately a dozen new day reporting centers and a new residential reentry center, gaining market share in its market segments. We expect this positive momentum to continue in 2015 with the reactivation of 2,300 owned beds in inventory, the completion of two expansions totaling close to 1,300 owned beds, and the integration of the 6,500 owned beds we acquired from LCS. With the LCS acquisition, GEO has increased its residential bed capacity from 79,000 beds to 85,500 beds. We are pursuing several publicly known opportunities and we are exploring a number of other opportunities for the development of new projects and the potential purchase of additional assets. We believe that our diversified growth and investment strategies have positioned GEO as the leading provider of corrections, detention, and offender rehabilitation services through our GEO continuum of care. We expect all of these efforts will continue to drive growth for our company, and we remain focused on effectively allocating capital to enhance shareholder value. This concludes our presentation, and we would now like to open the call to your questions. We, we will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star than one on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. If at any time your question has been addressed and you would like to withdraw your question, please press star then two. Once again, pressing star then one will allow you to ask a question. At this time, we will pause momentarily to assemble our roster. Our first question today comes from Brian Ruttenberg with CRT Capital Group. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, couple questions. First of all, on uh, your your capital front, with Raven Hall going in, the acquisition being completed, uh, and your build outs expected throughout 2015 and 16. In the next two years, do you anticipate the need for additional capital, or are you all set? Hey, Brian. This is Brian. Um, with, with what we've discussed and what we've projected now, we have plenty of liquidity on our revolver to support the uh, ongoing project development capex that we have right now. Okay. Then possibly along the same lines, uh, the your recent acquisition, what is left to acquire out there? Is there any other sizable acquisitions that can be made in the prison industry? I don't think we should comment on that right now. Okay. Uh, are you considering acquisitions outside of kind of core bricks and mortar adult prisons? Are you looking at acquisitions down other lines? Uh, I know that there's been conversations in the past about uh, using your, your balance sheet to possibly uh, – be involved with courthouses and sale leasebacks and, and things like that, other government-type facilities. Are you still considering that, and do you have the capacity to do that? Yes, we're still considering that, and we do have the capacity to do that, and in part because of the financial planning we did last year in refinancing some of our credit facilities really to 
make it possible to do what we're doing this year and moving forward. Great. Thank you very much. Our next question comes from Kevin McVeigh with Macquarie. Thank you, and congratulations on, on the results and outlook. Hey, Georgia, Brian, can you give us a sense, in terms of LCS, you know, if you, if you do the math, it, it assumes you have somewhere around 6,500 beds. Um, beyond the opportunities, are there any other, you know, larger type opportunities that give you the confidence to scale up uh, the level of unused beds? I mean, it's, it's at a level you haven't had in quite some time. Is there anything, is it just, you know, the stage growing? Is there anything else from a fundamental perspective that give you the confidence to, you know, take on that type of uh, excess capacity, number one. And then number two, along the lines with LCS, you, you know, why has the utilization been so uh, less optimal? And what gives you, uh, you know, the confidence that it sounds like is it 12 or 24 months? Should we think about that as kind of, you know, 18 to 24? Or how do those beds scale if you could help us uh, with perspective on that? Um. As, as we've experienced before in prior acquisitions, we've taken over, as is the case here, smaller companies who are less sophisticated, have fewer resources to meet the fairly significant demands of, of some of our clients, particularly the federal agencies, which have very complicated service requirements we are in a much better position to provide the clients what they really want versus uh, LCS was previously and other smaller companies. Uh, we have three regional offices around the country that are in closer geographic proximity to uh, oversee these facilities and, you know, work with them to develop better uh, services on site as well as to develop better relationships with their clients. So, you know, we've had experience doing this previously. We've been successful, and we are optimistic that we can do it again here. And, Kevin, I would just, to add to what George said, it's important. Some of these facilities are underutilized, but most of these facilities already have contracts with uh, existing customers, especially, as, as George pointed out, uh, most significantly uh, federal customers. So uh, their biggest overall client is the federal government. And as George discussed, it's, you know, we think that we have the ability to improve the operations and thereby improve the utilization of the facility. So we don't really have to go out and get new contracts for them. Understood that so far. And then, Brian, along those same lines, um, do the terms, so say, obviously, if you're both serving ICE, do the terms stay the same, or would they, uh, in terms of what what the government's paying you, is it based on what the existing contracts were, or would you adjust them based on, you know, the acquired entity? And then just <clears throat> any thoughts on the AFFO sensitivity of those fed scale, uh, particularly the ones at uh, LCS? Well, I mean, obviously that's all part of the process over time, uh, working on uh, revising contracts and so forth. I think it's important to think about from a scale perspective as we add incremental beds and revenue, um, because they're uh, so significantly underutilized, it won't be 
as proportional um, to the bottom line as you might expect from normally facilities that are more highly occupied. So there will be a higher proportion of costs added as we add beds, but still be very incrementally profitable. So we'll have to hire some staff and make some adjustments like that in the cost base, but uh, that's all factored into those numbers that we provided. That's super helpful. And one last one I could. Is there any type of incremental um, distribution associated with LTS, so similar when you convert it to re get a purge of retained earnings? Are there any capital returns as a result of the acquisition, or were they just not uh, anything meaningful? No, this, we did we did an asset purchase, so that's uh, not part of the the equation here in this transaction. It, it could be potentially in a future transaction, but uh, with this transaction, it's not the case. Super. Thanks so much. The next question is from Toby Summer of SunTrust. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, one last question about the investments you highlighted in the continuum of care. Uh, are these added services that, uh, that that won't be reimbursed by the customers? Will they have a negative impact on, on margins? Kind of trying to understand um, how things is how what the impact is near term versus uh, kind of the positioning that you're making on a on a go forward basis uh, with those investments. Thanks. The five million dollars we referenced uh, is additional staffing, kind of split half at the corporate level and half at the facility level. There are additive costs to our company that are. Uh, included in our guidance, so it, it's not going to be negative to our guidance. It's already embedded in our guidance, and we believe that it's really an investment in our company and our capability to perform uh, a better service for our client that will be appreciated and result in additional opportunities in the future. Um, uh, in the near future, actually, because we're we're already being recognized uh, in the U.S. and internationally as as a premier provider of vendor rehabilitation, and it's causing us, uh, in a large part, to win new contracts because of that. So, you know, we are very committed to this new strategy, this new initiative in the company focusing on offender rehabilitation that goes beyond the original origin of our industry, which was merely providing secure residential care for people, particularly for ICE, uh, uh, in short-term low-security detention. Uh, now that we're providing longer-term detention and correction, particularly to states, uh, we believe that it is uh, logical that we improve our capabilities to better rehabilitate the people that we are housing and, and support them in, in, through various different services post-release so they, they can better uh, assimilate into their communities and re reduce the reoffending rate in the states in which they live. Thank you. Uh, so is, this is a uh, kind, of, kind of a proactive choice as opposed to a, a response to current customer conversations? 
Yes, it is. It's proactive, but, you know, we have uh, been working with our uh, state clients in particular in, in partnership in restructuring our rehabilitation programs to uh, better encompass our vision of the geocontinuum of care because it, it, at the facility level, it, it is different than what our customers have asked us to do, which is kind of uh, the traditional uh, uh, prison rehabilitation program, and we're kind of working now out socks in, in new evidence-based programming that requires different skills by different members of the rehabilitation staff requires specialized training of that staff, and all these things kind of work together uh, to create a better result for the offender. And, and how does this fit into the positioning uh, of, of the company relative to uh, potential federal prison reform? I'm curious, not only the positioning and how this fits, but what you think the uh, the impact of potential prison reform will be on the corrections business? Well, we think it may very likely lead to additional funding for uh, post-release uh, support service activities like halfway houses, day reporting centers, electronic monitoring. So we, we think it's a very positive win-win uh, for everybody, for the industry as well as the clients and the offenders. And, and what are your plans, my last question, uh, for opening uh, new day reporting centers and halfway houses? What, 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 uh, what kind of growth do you have in your outlook for, for this year? We're looking at uh, several right now that are out, out to bid, so we're pursuing some of those, and we're pursuing uh, different day reporting centers across the country that are out for bid at the moment, and then working with our current customers to identify new opportunities that they might need for expansion in the areas where we are in the states where we've, we've begun implementing them. We're working with the customers on research and outcomes, uh, to look at, at the effectiveness of the programs, which then leads them to expand them. So there's a lot of work going on in that area. And from a growth perspective, is there a, a way to, to frame that, uh, that, that effort in that collaborative uh, process you're having with customers? Well, I think over the last several years, it's been averaging better than 10%, and, you know, we don't, don't expect to see that change or go down right now. I think, uh, you know, with everything that George has highlighted and the discussions that are going on nationally, we expect that kind of rate to be sustainable. Thank you. And that would be applicable to both the halfway houses and the day reporting centers? Combination of both. I think there's, you know, both areas. Okay. Thank you very much. And electronic monitoring as well. The whole, all three of them together. Terrific. Thank you again. If you have a question, please press star then one. Our next question comes from Ryan Milliger with MLV and Company. Hey, thanks for taking my question. I just had a couple things I was hoping that you guys could uh, provide some clarity on. I guess first probably Brian, you know, you talked about the liquidity levels you guys have and your ability to fund not only the recently announced acquisitions but also development over the next couple of years. 
But where does that put you in terms of your leverage and how much capacity would you have relative to what you know you would call your target leverage levels uh, when you take into account these acquisitions coupled with the projected development spend? And I think you're around I think four and a half times right now. And with this acquisition, I think we estimate you go up over five times uh, on 2015 numbers. Just some color there would be helpful. Sure. I think we're probably a little bit different in our numbers, but on a net debt basis, I think we'll be around a little under five times levered uh, post-transaction. From a covenant compliance perspective, we have full access to the revolver, uh, so there's no limitations from a capacity or access perspective. And when we model it out and look for it over time, even with the development capex, just based on the, the growth and as these projects normalize in, uh, that that will create some sort of some natural deleveraging, which will give us again additional expanded capacity if we need it. So, uh, with what we have available right now and the growth of the company, we expect our leverage to actually come down some over time. Okay, that's good. And then when you think about leverage overall, where where is your comfort zone? With I'm assuming you look at it on either a debt to EBITDA or um, debt as a percentage of gross asset value basis. Again, I, you know, we've been in this range for the last several years, probably three years or so, between, you know, call it four and a quarter and, you know, as high as four, eight, four, nine. So right where we are, we're comfortable with that range, and I, I don't see us really stepping up above it much, but we're certainly comfortable, uh, you know, right around five times, four and a half, five times. Okay, great. That's helpful. And then um, I guess just a little bit more color. I was hoping you guys might be able to share uh, with regards to the – continuum of care investment. I, if I recall correctly, in Ravenhall, you guys have uh, a bit of an incentive fee structure to uh, reduce recidivism rates. Do you think that positioning your, you know, more of your assets in the geo continuum of care and your ability to, uh, I guess, continually reduce recidivism going forward would position uh, geo to offer similar types of contract options for your partners here in the U.S.? That's certainly a consideration. It hasn't occurred as yet. You know, we're we're in the the beginning stages of implementing the geo continuum of care and working it through to um, statistically validate the results of what we're doing, and that's really a multi-year process um, between uh, dealing with people in prison for six months to approximately a year in, in their, their last stages of really of, of incarceration and then following them for a year post-release and then allowing the adjudication process to uh, determine the, the outcome of any possible reentry into the criminal justice system. It's really a three-year process before you really know the actual true effectiveness of the programming, you know, that you've put in place. So, you know, we're, we're making this investment on, on a long-term basis. We think it's a, it's the right investment for our company, for our clients. We think it's a win-win for everybody and the offenders as, in particular. You know, the, the more we can do to help better uh, be involved with their rehabilitation while in in our care, either while in the prison or post-release, you know, the better off I think uh, everyone will be. 
Yeah, that, that's helpful. Thanks for taking my questions. That's all for me. Our next question is from John Evans with J West LLC. Um, can you just help us understand a little bit, and it's kind of a follow-up uh, to the question before, uh, relative to the acquisition. So, so you have this Michigan facility, which is a huge facility, and it's you know got a bunch of fixed costs and nothing's in there. But you made this acquisition, and you know that's 50% kind of utilization, and you think it can get better. But why wouldn't you think that you could move those kind of inmates into Michigan, or can you give us any? insight into Michigan because it's a big needle mover. Well, the acquisition uh, of the LCS facilities, uh, geographically, they're based uh, uh, in the southern states. And so there's a, there's a geographic reason for their location by virtue of their client needs in those areas. Michigan is a whole separate story. It's in the north. And uh, we are actively marking that uh, facility, and we are optimistic uh, that this year we will be successful. Got it. Okay. So it's more that with L with the acquisition, you believe that you'll get more potential ICE business because it's closer to the border, and Michigan is more from states, et cetera? Yes, from uh, states that would, would be uh, interested in sending prisoners out of state because of overcrowding uh, situations. And, and just the last question relative to Michigan, if you were able to fill that facility, how accretive would that be kind of on an annual basis when it was like a full year? If we were to fill it, it would be a significant. You know, over 10 cents. We have a, you know, that's if that's it's correct. full. Okay, great. Thank you. The next question is a follow-up from Toby Summer of SunTrust. Thank you. I wondered if, uh, George, you may give us an update on the potential for um, continued uh, asset purchases kind of from customers. Um, those are, you know, dialogues that you're having in private, and I'm just wondering how you assess the uh, likelihood of being able to consummate something versus the last time we spoke. Thanks. You know, uh, they are definitely still of interest, but they're, you know, kind of one-offs uh, here and there. Uh, we we still pursue them because, um, you know, there are situations that develop around the country where either, you know, a lo I guess particularly local governments uh, are interested in, in um, monetizing their assets to better – uh, support their balance sheets or uh, uh, relieve themselves of the financial responsibilities of some of these facilities. So I think those opportunities are still there. They may, may likely increase in the future, um, and we are very much interested. Okay, thanks. This concludes our question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to management for any closing remarks. Thank you very much for joining us on this session, and we uh, look forward to the next one. The conference is now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect.
All right. Well, there you have it. There is so much material there to uh, to be dissected and, and explained. Um, let me give out the number in case anyone who's listening wants to call in because uh, there's definitely room for conversation here. Um, we've got an hour to go in the program. So the number is area code 712-775-7035. The access code is 367-526-POUND. Hit star six and then one and uh, you'll be in the caller's queue. We'll get you on, uh, we'll get you on there. So again, 712-775-7035, access code 367-526-POUND. Hit star six and then one. Uh, we're going to take our first break. Uh, we're, you know, significantly overdue for a break. You're listening to the Abolitionist Daily on the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, this is your host, Johanna and Elia, and we will be right back. Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. Okay, uh, we're back. We were just listening to the fourth quarter earnings call from the Geo Group Incorporated based out of Boca Raton, Florida. CEO George Zoli, uh, listening to their staff, uh, break down the, the money that they've made in the, in the fourth quarter of last year and the acquisitions they've made and how they've expanded their operations internationally. Uh, what their plans are, I mean, the whole nine yards, and this is really what you need, um, uh, at least a glimpse into the playbook, you know, of of the opposing team. Uh, these people are shameless, clearly. Um, a case could be made for soulless, I would say. I mean, when you can talk so callously about a collection of human souls that are going to generate your your money and not by their free will of, you know, purchasing or going and coming or service, you know, uh, uh, attaining your services or, you know, for some skill or some gift or something that you have to offer. Nope. Just for, uh, your ability to build cages to house them in. And then what they don't talk about in these calls is how they turn around and sell their labor back on the backside. So, I mean, this is, this is, a like a, like a, a full, you know, a, a butcher operation, you know, like when you own the, you own the land, you, you own the, the livestock, you sell the meat, you sell the awful cuts, you sell the, the hides. You, I mean, they've got this thing stem to stern, you know, how they're, how they do it. So, uh, one of the first things that he talked about, uh, George Zoli talked about when the call began, um, they were discussing at that point their international operations and we weren't able to hear everything that, um, that he said as far as, uh, what their plans were or what they were doing, um, 
in those other countries. But understand that the Geo Group is by all means an international operation. Um, we are, of course, concerned uh, most specifically with what's going on in uh, in the United States and how it affects us, you know, here as far as uh, the 13th Amendment that they're exploiting and um, how their billions that they generate is used to affect legislation here in America, um, policing here in America, uh, the, the legal process, um, our court systems, obviously our jail and prison systems. You know, this goes all the way as high as the president and his his uh, feelings about and his decisions to make moves concerning immigration. They are right in the middle of that fight. So you can't really say that you're fighting one way or another on the immigration issue, let's just say, without addressing the GEO group or CCA. These are major service providers to the federal government, and you can best believe they are looking out for their best interest in, in pushing millions and millions of dollars towards affecting the legislation to their benefit. We saw last year how they were able to um, affect the the, uh, legislation that was proposed or actually put in place by Congress to require 34,000 immigrant detainees to be held in uh, federal custody per day. That's a a, a regulation that's in place and, and is law. And when grassroots uh, rose up to try to fight against that, to to end that, to stop that, um, it was actually put on a a measure. Some House bill was proposed and it was added. You know, it was it was riding in there on some House bill that was that was added last year. And we watched the entire proceedings and all of these uh, politicians that had promised they were on the side and they knew and they, they understood and they didn't want that in there either. They all took their opportunity to speak and had their minutes to speak or whatever. Nobody said a word about it, and it was never proposed in the in the voting, and it was uh it was continued. So we still have to this day. So we had a chance to use our politicians to end just that one measure, and they all backed down. No one said a word when it was crunch time, and it continues. And these are the people that continue to profit from that. So he was talking about uh, what they were doing in Australia, and how they've secured twenty five years. Uh, 25 year contracts, which, uh, up front guarantee $100 million. Um, so if it's anything like the, and you know that it is, if it's anything like the assets, as they call them, that they, that they, uh, maintain here in the United States, um, we know from the call also that they generate 70% of, uh, their net operating income from owned or leased properties. And these are assets that are, that are considered a, a, in their valuation to last about 75 years with his own words, with minimal cost, minimal cost for maintenance, minimal cost for overhead costs. So these are things that the bankers are listening to and and projecting this as good investments. So this is how it works. You have to have a good business model. You're putting your money into something, and it doesn't cost a whole lot of money to maintain that. And this slavery is one of those things. You could treat these people inhumanely, and we're the ones the ones that are fighting to make them 
make them pay. And we talked about uh, in a previous program, we talked about uh, the ACLU being at the top of the list of people in America that are fighting for the rights, you know, and uh, doing whatever they're doing to, to help out. And we discussed the uh, the 34, I think it was 32 or 34,000 inmates that were uh, covered in the in the ACLU lawsuit that uh, they filed against the Arizona Department of Corrections because there was 37, I believe, 37 inmate deaths in the last uh, two years. And that raised the eyebrows, and they went in, and, and the studies that they did with medical professionals, and, and they went in and, and looked over the facilities and looked at the treatments facilities and looked at what was going on. And their own testimony was, this is by far the worst I have ever seen Man after man, woman after woman that testified, that put their put their uh, words in the reports were all saying, this is, well, I've never seen anything like this in my life. So we know that this is what goes on in the prisons, and this is why it's low cost of overhead. This is why they can get $100 million in contracts with uh, with Australia in whatever uh, situation he was discussing when we first came in, and there's really no cost associated with it because these are throwaway people. So you've got Geo Group in... United States, Australia, and South Africa, and the United Kingdom. And in the United Kingdom, we know that they're dealing with uh, their handling immigration de uh, uh, detention over there as well. Australia, immigration detention over there as well. I mean, these people's hands are in, in so much more than just putting people in America in prisons. But when you talk about that, Their uh, their contract with uh, that they discuss with this LCS uh, corporate LCS Corrections, they just acquired eight facilities from these people for three hundred and seven million dollars in cash, and this just happened a couple of weeks ago. So here you are looking at the Geo Group with three hundred and seven million dollars in cash. First of all, to just throw it. You know, this company that, that's, uh, that's hurting and they need somebody to come buy them out. Here comes the Geo Group and they, they acquire their, all their prisons. So they've got facilities already built. Uh, all they have to do is just take over and start, start running them. And you also heard George Zoli mention that that company has them in a position to take advantage of several federal contracts, which right now, they consider to be underused. So this is another key piece of information to what's going to affect you and me as American citizens. What's going to affect the people who are traditionally the most high criminalized, the largest representative ethnic groups and age groups and class groups that are behind bars right now. If you look like the people that are the vast majority of people that are incarcerated, this is important to you. If you are poor like the vast majority of people that are incarcerated in America, this is important to you. Or in the age group of people who become year after year the largest number of newly incarcerated individuals in America, this is important to you because this man just said that the federal contra contracts that are in place already with this company that they that they took over has severely underused uh, these contracts. 
and they typically operate around 50% occupancy. And what is his thing that he promises to everyone? Oh, we're planning on increasing that. How in the hell, who is this guy? Is he the, the, the Wizard of Oz or something? Or what kind of magician are you? Crime has been on the downslide for 20, oh, 20 years or more. Year in, year out, crime is down. That is a fact, no matter what statistics you look at. No matter how racist, no matter how Fox News-ish, no matter how right-winged, no matter how politically expedient it is for an individual to report on actual crime in America, everybody that tells the truth about crime and uses the statistics of the experts and of the leading agencies that judge all these things, and, and quantify these things and study these things has to admit, yes, crime has been down since the early 90s. So uh, hearing George Zoli speak so matter-of-factly, like he's got a, uh, what is it, abracadabra, as I, as I think it shall be or whatever that is. You know, as, as, as I say it, it will happen. We are going to increase the occupancy of these facilities. So what does that say to you as an individual when you hear that? What what are you thinking? What does that make you think about when you hear an executive of the second largest in one of the most profitable private prison companies in America and therefore on the planet telling his investment banker buddies See, these are his golf buddies. These are the guys whose kids go to private school with him, with his kids. These are the people that his family knows and, you know, respects or whatever. These are his homies. He don't know you. He don't know me. We're just nameless, faceless peons that fill up his beds so he can continue to generate. They generated $428 million last quarter. That's a that's a healthy little piece of scratch. Four hundred and twenty-eight million dollars they generated in the quarter. So that tells you right there, there's four quarters in a year, they're going for one point six billion dollars this year. And uh as you heard him talking about from the uh comparisons from the 2013 uh quarters or what you know, same quarter of 2013, they they had uh, raised up their fourth quarter profit from I believe it was four hundred and nine million to four hundred and twenty-eight. And across the board, this is what they do. When I first started uh, with New Abolitionist Radio and getting more intimately involved in these calls and looking at uh, GO and Corrections Corp stocks and, and various other private prison company stocks and whatnot, the GO group was trading. Uh, the GO group was trading somewhere around thirty. No, it may have been twenty-eight. I think like twenty-eight dollars a share. If I'm not mistaken, um, I have a record somewhere, but anyway, uh, that's the point being that, uh, now of course, you know, they're covering around $40 a share. So it's only going to keep going up and for it to go up. It's only going to continue to put you and your family and your future generations at risk. I mean, that's all it is. There's, there's, there's no way around it. There's no way around it. Who else are they going to get? See, we don't have foreign lands to go invade and bring slaves here. We did that trick once. 
And now those slaves, descendants of those slaves, exist here as a domestic colony in America. We don't have anybody else to go get and just bring them in here and make them slaves and, and you know, the world turns a blind eye while we build a, a, a an empire. So what we have to do now is maximize our slave profits off of that domestic colony. And that domestic colony, A number one at the top of the list, is the Africans who are in America. You need to get that in your head. Number one, I don't want to talk about racism. I don't want to talk about being delusional and being so racist and you just have these thoughts and be you just make it a race thing. It is a race thing. There's no way around that. It is a race thing. We can show you clearly the line that has been connected and never been broken, never been in danger of being broken. From the first slave ship, the good ship Jesus, from the first slave ship that landed here in America, Jamestown. Show you the police that were established in Boston as the slave patrols and go all through the history of the laws created to stop manumissions and stop Africans or uh, blacks in America whatever, from being able to even buy slaves because they were buying slaves as their family members and buying slaves to set people free, even if they still worked with them. So you hear about the Anthony Johnson slave owners and all that type of stuff. People don't even know the whole story. Black people did at least try to get theirs out of slavery by buying them, and they changed the law so they couldn't do that because you can't be free. You have to be a slave. And that mentality has continued on until this day. These people are going to take advantage of as many people of color as they can. Because George Zoli is not going to have this meeting and talk to these bankers if George Zoli's children are in the crosshairs. SunTrust Bank is not going to be there if their kids are in the crosshairs. If they're talking about uh, we're going to get an additional 10,000 beds filled from patrolling the streets of Boca Raton, where I live, hell no. So, uh, uh, Scotty Reed, did you have anything you wanted to add to to this at all today? I know you were listening in on the call too. Um, yeah, Johan, and uh, thanks for uh asking for my commentary. Um, lots of interesting things heard on that yeah. call. Um, that's the first time that we've ever streamed the call on this network live while it was happening. Um, as you know from times past where we have called into it live, even though we weren't broadcasting it, um, they would not let us get in on the question list. You got to be one of the, <laughs> you know, known enslavers that have done business with them before. So uh, if anybody has any questions about, well, why don't y'all ask them any questions? Well, that's because they pre-screen uh, those people. Like he said, this is our roster you know, for questions from our fellow enslavers. So, um, yeah, here's a couple of things that, um, I want to, um, just hit a couple of bullet points. Um, and we heard some of this during the call, but, um, I was just checking my email and, and, you know, I get emails and stuff, you know, because I, um, put out Google alerts on like the geo group CCA. And so this is one that came, but the article was published in September of last year. I don't know why it came today, but it was among a list of different, um, articles linked to the geo group. And it comes from seeking alpha.com, which I think is sort of like a stock market watch. A website, something like that having to do with, you know, um, your investment strategies and things of that nature. So 
we um this is what how it was titled the geo group um i don't know what r-e-i-t read like stability yeah, a, the geo group is a real estate investment trust it's a oh, okay bas- basically like a tax it's a tax uh, shelter type deal tax shelter so they're dodging paying taxes on all this basically yeah basically by listing themselves as a real estate investment trust as opposed to a traditional corporation which yeah yeah a real estate company that is deal primarily uh enslaving people and uh engaging in human trafficking but anyway it says the geo group like stability and customer stickiness to drive earnings growth well what does that mean <laughs> you know what is a customer well that's a slave that's an enslaved uh person and they like that stickiness and uh, so i wonder what they know that we don't know that's possibly i think you touched upon this yesterday where they're talking about getting away from mandatory minimums but then coming up with qualifiers so for whatever reasons they like the chances that people are not going to be set free <laughs> you know they like that customer stickiness and it's going to drive their earnings so uh in the summary it says rather than looking at geo as a professional services provider or consumer company i would like to think of it as a real estate developer and i gotta think you know also this goes along with hiding uh exactly what they are engaged in which is 21st century slavery and human trafficking uh point number two it has one of the largest contract locked occupancy guaranteed in parentheses so it has one of the largest contract locked occupancy guaranteed pipeline in the correctional services industry Prices of services are inflation adjusted and almost all contracts are renewed upon uh, expiration. So they that's going to, you know, where they sign these contracts, they tried it in Louisiana. I think it failed, uh, but I'm sure they uh, will not stop trying. But some of these states sign these contracts to where they guarantee 80 percent, 90 percent occupancy rates. And so, I mean, when those, that means, okay, just for the taxpayer, that means if the beds are empty, if they don't have no slaves on that new plantation and it's just standing idle, um, they still get paid for those empty beds because they have a, a guaranteed occupancy. Now, those state legislatures and all the uh, shakers and movers and politics in your particular state will be like, well, I guess we just got to uh, increase our stop and frisk patrols in certain communities because, you know, we signed this contract with the GEO group, got to have it 80% full or we just throwing away money. And so, yeah, um, now it says overcrowding in prisons and limited government budget should accelerate the privatization of correctional services and help GEO to grow. So, yeah, limited government budgets, meaning that, you know, um, the government is running out of money. But instead Mm. of cutting uh policies or you know how they talk about well let's cut people off of food stamps or let's eliminate you know uh subsidies for you know social service uh safety nets and things of that nature no you know that's where they usually look to cut 
but they don't look to cut like, look, this drug war has been raging for almost 50 years and it's cost us billions upon billions upon billions of dollars, but drugs are readily available on the street, (laughs) you know? So, uh, yeah. So yeah, those are some of the things that, um, I noticed, uh, from this call. I mean, these people are, are just evil. Um, they are enslavers and they all need to be hung by the neck until dead. That's all I got. You, well, you asked the question before you go. You asked the question during the call concerning their uh, conversation about, uh, and I'm, I think I missed this, what they said specifically, but you, you, uh, messaged me about them talking about taking over courthouses. What was, do you remember what they were saying yeah. specifically on that or? Yeah. Uh, remember, they're a real estate company, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, another thing that it seemed like they were talking about was, and of course we can go back and listen to the call later. Um, but they were talking about taking over courthouses as a matter of property. And I guess then lease it back out to the county or the state, you know, if it's a state courthouse. So that, that kind of caught my ear and where they were saying, you know, you know, taking over courthouses. So they going to run it from the slave blocks (laughs) to, I mean, wow, man, next thing you know, they'll be running the police, the slave catchers. So, yeah. yeah. And, and another thing in terms of propaganda, um, they were talking about in Australia where they were talking about programming the prisoners. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that. Um, but it sounded like, you know, they're running some kind of experiment on the non-white prisoners in Australia. You know, uh, most of those black people there are again targeted in every European country. Uh, where it is white dominated, you know, the people who make up the number one population, um, the largest proportion of the prison population is always non-white people. And we know what they have been doing, you know, to the aboriginal, uh, people, uh, there in, in, uh, Australia. But they were talking about programming. What kind of programming? You know, what are you going to do? I mean, this sounds like some big brother mind control type stuff going on here. So, yeah. So those were two things that stuck out to me. Well, again, I appreciate your comments. And, of course, we will be on tonight, uh, live tonight on New Abolitionist Radio, uh, our weekly program, which which um, inspired this daily program because of news just like this. I mean, that was really at the core of what I was shown in the vision you, you know when i when i was up on the mountain and saw the vision uh for having um new Ab- or abolitionist daily was there is so much breaking news and there is so much that we don't get to talk about and there are so many more opportunities to to catch more people at at different times and just different ways to try to work with this to get the news out there and and to get our propaganda out there so i mean i'm really once again the program be- Again, on President, and even in spite of unknown and unforeseen and still unexplained technical difficulties and things that seem to be trying to stop us from even getting on the air, we were able to get a show together and and record and uh, get our first uh, podcast up. And it was on President's Day, and we were able to discuss, you know, the history of the presidents. So. Now, here we are just a couple days in. I mean, we go right back to the first time we're able to live stream uh, the Geo Group's conference call. And 
this to me is is a part of making history to be able to let you hear them. They just said this themselves. It just came fresh out of their mouths. So you just heard it. And here we are, the first to be breaking down what was. What and we will, uh, like I said, we'll be on tonight on a new abolitionist radio discussing. Uh, we have some guests that are coming on and uh, that's going to be a that's going to be an interesting segment in itself, but we're going to hopefully be able to discuss both Corrections Corporation of America, who had this exact same type of call last week this time. They were on last Wednesday. They don't make their calls uh, available to the public anymore, but you can still get the transcripts. So we'll uh, be discussing the transcript from their call and then this call also. And to see the way that these people are so cavalier, just it's just so matter of fact. It, it, I can't even I can't even express to you enough just how disgusting it is, all aspects of it, that they do it, that people don't notice it, don't realize it, don't care about it, that it is just as savage as it ever was, that they have a future in place, a vision, a plan, that they're successfully working that plan, that it is enriching thousands and thousands of, of elite individuals like themselves, that it is enslaving, in fact, the people that work for them, the low-paid guards, that guy gets fresh out the military and gets a job as a guard and just goes on with a life of savagery. I mean, just goes on living in that same negative space. There's thousands and tens of thousands of people that are like that in this country. And that's why I say when we talk about abolition of slavery in America, we're not just talking about removing that 13th Amendment exception. We're not just talking about ending the ability of an individual to be able to be made a slave in America if they can be convicted of a crime. We're also talking about dismantling a huge part of the economy. If we don't have an alternative, see, that's why the 13th was able to work because there was an alternative presented to uh, agrarian, you know, everybody's out in the field picking cotton slavery. There was an alternative presented the industrialization of the of the country, the industrialization was offered. We can build up industries and make machines and make products, and that's our next our next thing where we're going to be making money. But we're still going to need slaves to build those machines and build those factories and do the you know do the grunt work of all of that. So we'll still use them for that. And then you had the Emancipation Proclamation, and then you had uh, debt peonage to keep the ones they wanted to keep on the on the farms. And you had the black codes to bring people in and get them in jail. And then you had convict leasing, which is what sent those convicts right on, on into the industrial north and, and kept them in the south, working in those industrial capacities. There's no paid or low paid workers kept on chains. And they went home in the evening back to the prison cell. One other thing. And we're um, seeing that now. Johanna. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Yeah. One, one other thing. They were talking about, you know, how we have these great services for prisoners and, and, you know, right. giving them job training and, and all this and that. But I mean, come on now. Let's be for real. Once they get out, you know, they got that felony label on them. They're not going to get hired. You know, so what? They're going to be trained how to do customer service jobs for AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, what I, what not. Why would AT&T, Sprint, Verizon, or any company that's using prison slave labor then hire, you know, 
a former slave or hire any one of us. You know, when they can keep using this cheap prison slave labor and increase their bottom line. I mean, this is all a joke, man. It's a cruel joke. Yeah. And it's our America. It's our economy. This is the thing. This is if people don't want to talk about this and we're, you know, I'm going to, are we, uh, I'm going to move on. I mean, because, you know, we could break this down and I don't want to just make it just my endless monologue of ranting about this or whatever. I mean, either people care or they don't. But I'm trying to show you points where you can where you can decide where you're at in your own belief, where you can decide where you're at in your own uh, day to day, how your routines and what you do, and what you what, you know, what you believe in, what you participate in. So that includes uh, your feelings about voting. Your belief about the country being, you know, the bastion of democracy and freedom and all these things, your your belief system that tells you that. You know, don't commit a crime if you don't want to go to jail. All these different, very reflexive, uh, matter of fact kind of things we just throw out as, you know, just defense. We don't want to really talk about issues. We just want to just have an answer and just move on. Leave me alone. I present these things because I want to get inside of you a little bit, at least, so you think about, yeah, I guess that is true. Um, the way I really doesn't have any effect on what these people are doing. And their money with politicians on both sides of the aisle really does affect what legislation is presented and what legislation is put in place. Hmm. Maybe my government has some problems that I need to look at ways I can help to 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 resolve. Because see, the founding fathers all had this philosophy that when you saw tyranny begin to rise up, it was your job as a righteous person, as a good American to provide the the needed resistance to either get them back in line or get them all the way out the way. There is no quote anywhere of any of the founding fathers that says when you see it start, when the tyranny starts to arise, when the the people in control begin to, to, to terrorize and oppress the people, you need to just make sure you go to your job every day and mind your own business. Who, who said that? Jefferson said that John Adams. Who said that? Who said when you see the powers that be putting in place systems? See, Geo Group is international. So when we don't stop them here, they are very soon going to have unbreakable bonds that stretch across the oceans. Again, like I said, to the UK, to South Africa, to Australia, and they'll be in other countries. So I believe they got a one, maybe that's CCA. One of these uh, private prison companies has operations in Israel. So when you have international companies that are generating not just billions, but tens of billions or hundreds of billions of dollars, what are you going to do to stop them then? See, we could still stop them now. They're still in our hands now. We could stop them. But if you don't, you don't. So it's going to be up to you. It's 1130. Um, I think we're going to take a break. Again, you're listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. This is the Abolitionist Daily, and uh, thanks for joining us. We'll be right back after this break. Before we go to break, let me give out the number again because we may have people that want to call in, um, that want to get you know get to be a part of this conversation. So I'm sorry for dominating so much of the of the of, of the uh, program. Seven one two seven seven five seven zero three five. Access code three six seven five two six pound. Hit star, 
six, and then the number one. We'll be right back. Thy grace founded on two thirds a person. Great things and beatings and suffering and worsens. Black human packages tied up in strings. Black rage can come from all these kinds of things. Black rage is founded on blatant denial. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And I believe we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is your host, Johan and Elia. We have been listening to and discussing at length the uh, the Geo Group fourth quarter earnings call, and we're going to move on. Before we move on, I just wanted uh, to take care of a little bit of business that, that has to do with this program specifically, the abolitionist message specifically, um, what we are doing here, what, what you're listening to, what's going on. Um, for those that may not know, or whenever you hear this, you know, maybe if not live in a podcast at some other time, somebody shares a link, you just want to know what the heck is going on. Let me explain this to you. The 13th Amendment says this. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So what you just heard there was slavery is abolished except when a person can be convicted of a crime. And in America now, we don't even see, see, when this was written, a conviction for a crime, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was a hundred percent of the time you were going to have to be convicted at a trial, which was the basis of our legal system at the time this was written was that you would at least get a trial. See now, Convictions are based on uh, over 90% of uh, plea deals. Prosecutors stack charges up, give people a, a mountain of charges and years to look at. Then they don't even go to trial. They hold them in custody for years at a time in a lot of cases. You, you, you notice you hear most people that do end up getting arrested don't even go to trial for a couple of years. If they can afford bail, they're maybe uh, they're set free. In the vast majority of cases, people don't have bail money. So they stay in the, in the local jail awaiting trial. And as they're awaiting trial, and this goes even all the way to people that have ended up spending 20 and 30 years and were finally exonerated. A lot of them have this same story to tell. I didn't have bail money. I was in jail for two years and still hadn't faced trial. Prosecutor came to me again. Prosecutor talked to my, to my uh, public defender and they worked out a deal. And he just said, look, just take the, just take this. You've already done two years. You've already done five years. Just take this and you'll get time served. And uh, plus maybe another six months, you'll be out and you'll just have a felony or, you know, this is the type of thing that the manipulations of the system. So when you hear him say neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for a crime. Understand that when people are convicted, it's not even really at trials anymore. People are convicted on plea deals. People are convicted on having no money for bail. People are convicted on having no money for adequate defense. Many of these exonerations that are going on right now, this is part of how their cases were overturned, is that the judge ruled that they didn't even have adequate defense. I was listening to a gentleman just yesterday talking about his 28 years he spent behind bars on a fake charge. 
And he's, he talked about how his public defender came to see him for his court date. His court time was at one o'clock PM. I think he said, and by the time his defender got to him, he had already represented 40 other cases that morning. If you think that that is not total and complete corruption of the intent of the constitution of the intent of the law, you're crazy. You really think that the Constitution was written with the law in place and in mind of, well, you know, if you get in some kind of trouble, if some kind of way you end up having to face charges, we'll just throw a guy at you that's got 70 cases in a day, and you'll be in the middle of his day. You'll be about number 40, so he's still somewhat competent, and he may actually be able to get you out of this. You're crazy, and you should care about it before it ends up being you or your nephew or your cousin or your sister, your husband, your wife, your your children because they got to get these people from somewhere. So when we talk about this 13th Amendment, you have to understand that the people that this 13th Amendment was meant for are African people in America. That's why it's called a reconstructive amendment. It's made to repair or reconstruct the lives that were damaged by the inhumanity of slavery. There's no need for the 13th Amendment if there was no slavery, is there? So who do you think it's talking about? African people who are here in America, who have been enslaved. We give you this 13th Amendment for you. The 13th Amendment is not for Irish people, even though they try to attach themselves to see they were not in slavery at the time. They were That was over. Indentured servitude to that degree was done. They're not talking about American Indians, they're not talking about Latinos, they are talking about African people in America with the 13th Amendment. So it was intended for us, and it's a reconstructive amendment. It's designed to repair and reconstruct our lives because it was destroyed by slavery. So you have to get real about that and and accept that to even be a part of this movement, to even be able to receive and understand the words I'm saying. You have to be able to accept that it's for Africans in America, and it's supposed to be reconstructing the lives that it destroyed. So do you think it's very legit to say that you want to reconstruct the life of someone that you destroyed by saying, okay, there's, we're going to stop. There's no more slavery, except uh, for um, if uh, this happens, then I mean, then I could still make you a slave. Do you really think that's somebody to say, what if you got, say somebody's a bully's beating you up every day. And he says, he's going to stop beating you up unless you, then he's not really stopping because he says, unless, except, well, in case of something, this, this that happens, and I'm going to still do it. So that's why I get worked up about this because it's an exception. And the exception was put in the 13th Amendment for the intention to specifically re-enslave those same freed Africans. It was intended specifically for us, for African people. And it has impacted primarily African people over the years. From the earliest state prisons. From the 1800s, immediately the year after the Emancipation Proclamation was ratified. 1866, South Carolina, boom, state prison. And on down the line, the states, in the years right after, suddenly all these states need state prisons. 
And guess who was in those state prisons? By the thousands. Now here you have people that were traditionally not even seen as being criminals. They were just slaves. Suddenly now these people are the arch criminals of the of the land. We set them free and all they want to do is commit crime. So good thing we built these prisons. So you have to make that connection first to see the leap, see where that happened, see where that where that little jump went from the plantation to the prison cell. And when you can make that leap, when you can make that connection, when you can see debt peonage, a free man minding his own business is approached by a free white man that says, hey, you owe me $100. Never seen this white man in my life. Oh, I just so happens I brought the sheriff with me too so he can take you into custody because you owe me. And there goes another 40 years of this man's life working for this man on his farm as a slave. That went on in America. That's real. You can Google debt peonage right now and find some of the most atrocious behavior after slavery because it was slavery. Convict leasing, the same thing. The chain gangs. Railroads and highways built in all types of infrastructure built on the backs of slaves. Held the statue on top of the White House, uh, the big dome. Created by and put in place by slave hands. This country is deep in it, man. Steeped deep in it. So it's not just the call we just listened to today. Where George Zoli, who is the highest paid government employee in America. If you didn't know that. See, the CEO you just heard on the GEO Group call, he's the highest paid government employee in America. He earned over $20 million in just a couple of years. Off of these government contracts, a slave owner. Do you think that's coincidental that the highest paying government job in America is to be a slave owner? You think that's just, wow, man, life's a trip. That's just imagine the odds. You must be crazy. So when we look at this again, like I said, the 13th Amendment itself. It's supposed to be helping black people, but you see that it is main, it, or Africans, I will say, but you see it has mainly only impacted us to continue us in slavery. African people in America have been criminalized ever since enslavement. And this is what is done to justify the inhumanity of slavery. Sagging pants laws now. Criminalizing a part of the culture. To justify inhumanity of slavery. Tamir Rice got a little kid BB gun in the park, lynched on the spot. But he had a BB gun in the park in the middle of the day, justifying the inhumanity of slavery. John Crawford killed in a Walmart. This is a free black man walking around free. Killed because he had a BB gun that they sold in the store in the store with him, minding his own business, talking on his cell phone, not even making eye contact with people. Security footage showed it, but when he was murdered, it was justified. The, the inhumanity of the slide again. And on and on and on. Resisting arrest. He raised his hands. He made a furtive motion. We talked about uh, Raphael Briscoe yesterday. 
running away from an SUV packed to the gills full of stormtroopers shot in the back. And the video showed a BB gun in the street. Justifying the inhumanity of slavery. So you have to decide, do you want to be a part of what we're talking about? Do you want to be a part of this movement? Because this is real. It's just a matter of, do you want to, do you want to acknowledge it and look at it? Or do you want to turn away from it and consume? You want to be a material consumer. You want to go to your job, make money. You want to go back to school and pay for your degree, buy a degree and, and to talk about how you honoring the ancestors, getting educated. You ain't getting educated in a damn thing. If you're not talking about slavery, do you really think white supremacy needs more middle managers? Do you really think the the world is hunger is hungry for people walking around with liberal arts degrees? If you're not going to, to university to learn how to dismantle this system, what point, what purpose are you really serving? You think we need more Solomon Northrop's? Reportedly, there were over 500,000 free black people walking around when Solomon Northrop was kidnapped and enslaved. That's the report is that there was over 500,000 black people walking around free promenade, promenading up and down the boulevard. Stepping off the curb into the mud and shit in the streets so white folks could walk by, but they was free. Not making eye contact with a white person, but they was free. Bowing, grinning, yazabalsing, but they was free. While there was millions of their brothers and sisters enslaved. Same thing going on right now, people. That's the thing. Watch Django and act like you see in a movie. But you're looking at your life. One Negro come, he's dressed nice, he look nice, he got friends with the white man, he he got a skilled trade, and I'm in chains. It's the same thing going on now, people. Your brothers and sisters are in chains. Trumped up charges. But you free. You got to decide where you want to be on this thing. You got to decide where you're going to come in on this. Because our persecution is coming from the appropriate legislation of Section 2 of the 13th Amendment, where it says, except when a person can be convicted of a crime, that's where we're getting hit at. Because they are appropriately legislating that exception. We don't make any guns, but our neighborhoods are flooded with guns. We don't make any drugs, but our neighborhoods are flooded with drugs. We don't use drugs any more than anybody else. But we are arrested at 12 to 15 times the rate as anybody else for drugs. There is no scientific evidence that has ever been produced by any scientist that ever said that crack cocaine was more addictive, more deadly, more problematic than powder cocaine. But we went right along with 100 to 1 sentencing that still has our brothers and sisters and sons and uncles and fathers and nephews and whoever locked 
and our African-American president reduced that to 18 to 1. Based on what? These are all issues that we need to be looking at. This is all a part of why I'm a part of this movement, because where else do you hear this talk? Where where else is anybody even talking about this? It's a whole nation of us walking around with our heads in the sand. We arguing about Amun-Ra, Kemet, Hebrew, atheism, Jesus on the cloud. We arguing about all kind of other crazy stuff. But then Mark Vesey and Gullah Jack didn't argue when they decided to create the slave rebellion, did they? Two men from two separate types of religious background beliefs that didn't even worry about that. They knew they were uh, trying to get people out of slavery. Do we have men and women of courage like that today? Don't send your kid to school talking about Denmark Vesey. Don't do a report on that. Don't read about him. Don't talk about him. It's like Fred Hampton said, get my name out your mouth if you ain't talking about revolution. Don't Don't talk about the great men and women. And you are not about to do a damn thing. Don't talk about them. Don't read the books. Don't try to act Afrocentric. Don't claim to be a Pan-African. You're an American and you like it. You like being a consumer. You like being a spoke on the wheel. Because if you didn't, if you didn't like slavery, you would fight slavery. And we're showing you slavery right here. We're showing you the issues right here every day, once a week on New Abolitions Radio, every day on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, uh, the Black Talk Radio websites. I mean, all over the place. We're just pushing all this information out all day, every single day. But I see a lot of people talking about Empire. I see a lot of people talking about the Grammys, talking about fashion. What's Kim K doing? What's Kanye doing? Who's the new gay rappers? How much the new Jordans cost? I see people talking about things that it makes no sense and we're rotting away in prisons legally. We're rotting away in slavery legally. Like I said, it's the appropriate legislation of the second uh, section two of the 13th Amendment. And it's because of that that our communities are becoming ghettos. Every African community across America, every city in America that is represented by Africans, you ask, what does it look like? What does it look like? It looks like a ghetto. It looks torn down. It looks destroyed. It looks disenfranchised. It looks a mess. And it's not because the people are so bad. It's not because the people are so messed up. It's not because the people are crazy. The people don't want better because the people don't work hard. Hell, the hardest working people on the planet are the poorest people. Two, three, four jobs. Backbreaking labor. These guys you just heard on the geo call got the easiest job in the world and the richest sons the richest people in in the in the areas, no doubt, got the most money. Hell, these Geo Group executives reinvest in the company all the time. These guys, they turn around and buy a hundred thousand shares for whatever reason, drop a couple million like it's nothing. Turn around, sell them back, moving money around. They got all kind of businesses, all kind of stuff they got going on. 
But the thing that funds all of that is the 13th Amendment exception. So the abolitionist movement is a movement to end that 13th Amendment exception, to just remove that word except and truly abolish slavery, and we can all move on with our lives. So, rant over. Um, I wanted to mention briefly, because we're going to be wrapping up here pretty soon, I wanted to mention briefly uh, Eric Holder yesterday, <clears throat> Tuesday, the 17th, made a, uh, made a call for a moratorium, a national moratorium on the death penalty, at least until the Supreme Court can, uh, can uh, come out with their findings later on this year. Um, of course, he came out with his typical blue ribbon Negro talk, which is to be expected. But outside of his quotes, which I'll read to you now, but outside of his quotes, I had a thought concerning whether or not that he has any kind of soul in him. Maybe the death penalty slowdown or end could be possibly there's an angle in there where it could be because of all of these exonerations. Anytime you're pulling nearly 200 people and they're not even ramping up the machine yet, but you've got almost a couple hundred people that you pull out of prisons and most of those were on death row at some point or another. And we know of the people that have been found innocent posthumously. I mean, what good does it do for you to find out I didn't do it after you fried me? So I was wondering when I saw this, is there a chance that, you know, the abolitionist movement, that the uh, innocence project movements, the exoneration movement, that these people that are really working to to get people out and to get stories out and to find out about the, the rampant injustice that's going on in our justice system, if that is having effect. But uh, Holder's quote says, uh, our system of justice is the best in the world. It's comprised of men and women who do the best they can, get it right more often than not, substantially more right than wrong, but there's always the possibility that mistakes will be made. It's one thing to put somebody in jail for an extended period of time, have some new tests that you that you can do and determine that person was, in fact, innocent. There's no ability to correct a mistake where somebody has, in fact, been executed. So, I mean, he does say that's, from my perspective, is the ultimate nightmare. So maybe he really does have a heart for this because we know he's made calls in the past for, you know, reform of the of the system and, and crit, been very critical of the system and his own uh his own employees have rebelled against him i can just imagine going to work and you know the boss is like look you guys suck <laughs> it was no productivity everybody's working overtime and we're putting out half the product you've got to pick it up we're going to end up cutting this overtime and we're going to get more productivity out of you and me and 50 other guys that work the assembly line all look at him, give him the finger and tell him, shut up. He don't know what he's talking about because that's basically what the attorneys of America did. The district attorneys of America did to him when he's, when he was critical of the system, they told him to shut his mouth. What do you know? You don't know what you're talking about. Get out of here. We're running the slave system. And we know about the Annie Dukins of the world. 10,000 cases that this person is potentially poisoned, put people in prison because she was getting a benefit, her and um, who was the little girl that was working with her? There was a, she had an assistant that worked with her. And of course she wasn't named in any of the legal proceedings. Little blonde hair, blue eyed, little white girl. She's the one that went and sat on the, on the uh, it set of jury trials 
is an expert witness claiming she had a she had a degree in chemistry and they found out she actually took chemistry in college but she was by no means a chemist and had no clue what the hell she was talking about as an expert witness but she was sending people to prison too and this is something that goes on and on and on we know about uh uh da uh uh barta out in new mexico that was caught on tape telling the cop, you should have just, you should have just shot him. You should have pushed him out in front of the train. Should have put a gun on him. Should have said he made a move. Hell, what did you even arrest him for? We've heard these people speak the truth to themselves. We've seen what their actions have done to put thousands of people in prison. So when Eric Holder comes out and says, we're going to put a moratorium on the death penalty, I mean, I'm hoping that he has some heart. I'm hoping that, uh, whenever Lynch gets in office, that she will continue in this vein, but there's no, there's no guarantee. There really is no guarantee with these people. The only guarantee we have is solidarity within our own ranks as abolitionists. That's our only guarantee we have. Our camaraderie, our brotherhood, our attention to the details our coming up with a plan, us sticking to that plan, working the points and making change happen. We're the only guarantee we have is the abolitionist movement. We're the only ones that can do what we need done for this nation. Because all these elected officials and high paid puppets and <sighs> these people aren't getting ready to do what needs to be done. And I, and I think it's 2015. I, I think you know that. I think you're ready to accept that message now. I think you, I think you're ready to just go ahead and just accept that they're not going to do what they should do. So become an abolitionist. Join in with us. You can find us at the Black Talk Radio Network uh, uh, website. So that's blacktalkradionetwork.com. You can find us here at Abolitionist Daily. You can find New Abolitionist Radio. You can find us at Abolitionist Daily on Facebook. New Abolitionist Radio on Facebook. Move to Abolish the 20, or 21st Century Slavery and Human Trafficking. Our group on Facebook where we, we make calls to action to actually help the enslaved and their families. When they put out a call to action, we, we mobilize in that group. You can find us on our YouTube channel, New Abolitionist. You can find us on Twitter, N-A-R, End Slavery, New Abolitionist Radio, End Slavery, New Abolitionist Radio. Just put it in Twitter. You can find us on there. You can find us, but can we find you? Can we see you in the trenches? Can we see you in the field? Can I get you at my back? Because that's what we need. We know what's going on. Scotty Reed knows what's going on. My comrades in the struggle know what's going on. But you, the person that hasn't made the commitment yet, you hear us and you feel us. But we need you to make that step on in to the ranks. Come on in. Because we got to have more people become abolitionists. we got to have more people commit their personal resources of their gifts and their talents. Become convinced that they're calling in life is to be a part of what we're doing. We just got to have it. 
So before we go, let me just remind you, you have been listening to the Abolitionist Daily, which is a part of the Black Talk Radio Network. And this is 100% community funded, community building, community concerned radio. So whether it's the abolitionist movement or any of the other programs that are on the, on the network, it's a full array. It's a full array. Some entertainment, mostly political, mostly informative, you know, things that you're going to find only here from us, for us. So your support is needed and it's appreciated. We're only going to continue to grow and gain momentum with you and people like you jumping on board and making contributions to the Black Talk Media Project. You can find us online at blacktalkmediaproject.org. Peace to the abolitionists and death to the oppressors. I will see you tomorrow. They started in slave ships. Hey, what? What? Slave ships. There are more records of slave ships than one would dream. It seems inconceivable. Until you effected for 200 years, ships sailed carrying cargo and slaves. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.